Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. One of the challenges for me in all my gear and what I take with me is always trying to stay public land legal. And what I mean by this is a lot of times when you're hanging gear, you know, the only way or the most common way is to use some type of screw-in mechanism. In the past, I started making... Um, you know, tethers out of, out of paracord that I could hang stuff on in the tree. That way I wasn't having to screw anything into the tree and so forth, but tethered up their game as they always do and thought of the public land mobile hunter and their needs. And they've come out with the hiss strap, which I recently started using, which is a seven foot long piece of webbing that is daisy chained. And you, and it also pairs nicely with their hiss pro pack, which is a combination of some S beaners as well as a pro clip. And so I hang everything from my bow to my backpack to uh, binos to rangefinder, whatever the case is that I'm bringing into the tree with me. I use this hiss strap for that and those various carabiners and S hooks. So if you want to learn more about either the hiss strap or the hiss pro pack, or do you want to learn about their saddle and predator platform setup, head to tetherednation.com and check them out. All right, the season has opened for most of us. Hallelujah. So Skull Brew Coffee Company is celebrating the opening of archery season by sharing a 15% discount on coffee now through October 9th. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and use the promo code OPENER19 at checkout. Skull Brew Coffee Company is the only coffee company who is 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of their profits to conservation organizations who are helping to secure the future of our wild places. Head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer small batch roasts and use the promo code OPENER19. Save some money and know that you're supporting conservation with every sip. Hello and welcome to the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 140. Today I'm joined by Lindsay Zastro. We're talking analytics of hunting, land management, and much, much more. So stay tuned.
right, what is going on, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are feeling fine out there. It is here for those of us, uh, for those of you maybe, that haven't had your season kick into full swing yet. I think the weekend is finally upon us where I believe everyone will be open at that point. Uh, Different parts of Pennsylvania have opened in uh, special regs units, which I've been fortunate that I live in in such a unit, so I've been able to be out. Uh, this past week, uh, everything kicked off last weekend, I believe. Um, and I was able to get out on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. I think I did. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, yeah, I did. I filmed Wilson. I think I even talked about that in the last in the last last podcast. All the days are starting to run together a little bit whenever you're sleep deprived. As as I've had a chance to get out and do uh, some morning hunts before work um, this past week on you know a particular deer that I've talked about previously that I've uh, that's given me some intel that he might be killable in the morning. So I've been taking advantage of that. I did put one hunt on for that deer, um, had the right wind and, uh, set up on him and did not see him, did not see a single deer, uh, which wasn't surprising to me because this is a, this is a spot where I'm probably going to see him, um, or nothing at the, at, you know, for, for, you know, for the fact of the matter that it's not a high traffic area necessarily, uh, per se, there are a handful of bucks that are using this particular little travel corridor, that, uh, there's, I guess three, uh, two that I would classify as a shooter. One is definitely the one that I would like to try to kill this year, but I'm not saying that, uh, if, if the other shooter passed through that, I wouldn't uh, try to stick an arrow in him. So I got out super, you know, super early that day. I think it was, uh, what day was that Tuesday? Maybe I got out before work. I think it was Tuesday. Um, or I had the right, the right wind set up and, uh, got into the tree quietly. Um, everything went well, you know, I knew which tree I kind of wanted to get into super small tree again, kind of singing the praises of the saddle here. Cause I don't know that I, um, I'll just say for me personally, in my experience, I would have not been able to get a, a stand into this particular tree. It wasn't the straightest tree on the planet either. And it wasn't the biggest tree on the planet. So, uh, would have been some challenges there, but with the saddle, I was able to kind of get into it, uh, set up, uh, super quiet, stealthy, and uh, he just didn't show, uh, which wasn't uh, not necessarily a huge surprise. So the good news is, is I was able to get in and out uh, without disturbing every, anything. The, uh, the access I have to this particular location um, is pretty dynamite. So um, that's, you know, has that I have that going for me, you know, in terms of in, in my favor, um, which I think will allow me to put a few hunts on in this particular area uh, for this deer. Now, I'm kind of strategically trying to hunt him during the week. Uh, for a multitude of reasons, trying to get in. Well, first off, he's a morning deer. Um, when I see him in an area, you know, the, the different cameras I've had out on this property, I've only had him on two cameras. Um, this particular one that I, in the area in which I'm hunting him and then another camera that I had, which is a little further away. Um, but he's only ever showed up on that one once and it was at night. Um, so I don't necessarily value that other than to know that he did at one point venture to the other part of the property, but I've consistently had him on this other one. And I know, you know, the time stamp in which he's coming through, um, you know, I know I'm close to his bed, but the interesting thing is, is he only uses this area on two specific winds, one wind he's using it to, um, go back to bed in the morning uh, and the other, and he'll only use it in that area so far as I can tell on that wind to go back to, to that bed. Um, and then the other time he'll use it is on a, on a different wind, but he will use it to leave the bed. And he only does that on that particular wind under the cover of dark, um, which is kind of interesting. I started kind of looking at all the Intel that I had and kind of figured out that, you know, he uses it on these two winds, but there's really only one wind that he will use it, you know, in daylight. And when I say daylight, he's given me like a, a, a 15 to 20 minute window to kill him. 
you know, that he's passing through with just enough daylight where it's legal, legal shooting light. Uh, so we're going to kind of hold out, you know, not, not hope. Cause I, I know this deer's around, but we're going to hold out that he follows the script on the day that I get the right wind. Um, you know, the next time I get the right wind, which will be likely this Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Um, and so I'm probably, I haven't decided if I'm going to hunt him, you know, any, if I'm going to hunt him all three of those mornings, or if there's only one of those mornings that I'm going to hunt him. But the interesting thing is, is that, you know, what this is telling me, and I'd love to talk, I haven't had a chance to talk to Greg about this, but I feel like this betting that he's using is wind-based betting because I'm only catching him on certain winds. Um, and there's not really food in that general area. So I don't feel like it's like it's food-based. The only fear that I have is as I've waited, you know, to try to hunt him as the season or as October grows closer and closer and we'll be here by the time you guys listen to this, um, is that I don't know that if he's going to transition or not. Um, you know, cause I didn't hunt this piece last year, so I don't know if he's a homebody, if he's going to move on or, or what the deal is. Um, so I'm going to hunt this spot and assume that he's still around. The good news is, is my camera's not too far away and it's really easy for me to pull that card as I go to this particular setup. And so I can kind of gather and see. Now, the last time I hunted, I was able to pull it. He made one trip through, I think it was the day before, um, the day before I was able to hunt him and it was on the wind that he would use in the evening at night under cover of dark. And that is exactly when he passed through it was right around like 1130 again on that wind that I would predict where he would pass at night. So that was my hunt for him this past week. I did get a chance to get out this weekend. Um, nothing too crazy, but I will share a boneheaded story with you as I share everything good, the good, the bad and the ugly. So Saturday morning, I got up again doing a morning hunt because I had some a property that was close by that I wanted to try to smoke a dough. I um, wanted to try to put some meat in the freezer, and I knew that this one particular area, I didn't really have any decent bucks on it. A couple youngsters, but nothing to, nothing that I would be willing to pull my bow back on. Uh, but there are a lot of does, and they're traveling this particular little corridor, and it's the one that I did a YouTube video on that uh, is, is near some train tracks and have some pretty slick access to. Um, and uh, there's a little two track that kind of surrounds the swamp, which makes it really easy for deer to kind of move through. And that's exactly where I was getting, you know, a lot of intel. These deer are passing through here and they're coming through right at shooting light headed back to bed. And so I figured I'd put on a morning hunt, you know, try to, you know, put some freezer meat down and uh, got there early, you know, plenty early. It's a really short walk in uh, to where I need to to where I need to get set up and uh, made my way in super quiet. Um, stealthy. I actually saw, you know, I guess it was a buck or two, um, hanging out at the edge of this cornfield, walking toward where I was going to be setting up with, you know, like two bucks and I guess it was three or four does, something like that. Um, and so I was like, sweet, you know, if I can get in and kind of beat them to the spot, I should be able to get in front of them the way they were walking and how I was walking in the way the wind was working. I could basically kind of walk by them. Um, as long as I kept cover between the two of us and they would be none the wiser. And that's exactly what happened is I got up into the timber, but as often happens to me early in the season is that something happened or there was a kink that, you know, I haven't had worked out yet. And so, um, in my excitement to see that there were deer there moving their way toward me in the, in the darkness, you know, before I walked in, I left the truck in a hurry and I left my climbing sticks in the back of my truck. And typically, you know, that would be like an oh shit moment, turn around, go back to the truck, totally blow the deer out on the way back or on, to the truck or on the way back to my setup and hunt kind of over before it ever started. Right. So I'm standing there first off, I'm kind of cussing myself. I can't believe that I left my freaking sticks in the truck of all things to leave. Like it's like, you know, last year, I think I left my release in the truck. Um, you know, so it's like this early part of the year, I usually always have like one bonehead moment. And this is that one for the year. This is the bonehead moment. 
And so I'm standing there thinking, I'm like, man, how can, I don't want to walk back to the truck. Cause I know if I walk back to the truck, I might as well just go home. Cause it's, it's game over. Um, and so I started thinking and I realized I was like, wait, I was like, I've got my predator platform. I was like, and I can just use what would be really the one stick method of climbing, but use my platform as my one stick. And so that's exactly what I did. So again, you know, I know I sing the praises of tethered all the time in saddle hunting. And this is just another example of that where they came in super handy and took a bonehead moment for me and actually turned it into like, a, you know, a semi successful hunt. And so what I ended up doing was just sticking the, the platform on the tree at about, you know, waist height and uh, grabbed a hold of the tree and kicked off the tree and stepped up onto it. So it was kind of a combination of a single stick method of climbing along with the cane method of climbing. And so once I got up on top of the, the platform, I took my tether as high as I could reach it, strapped into my bridge and sat down into my saddle, unhooked the platform moved it up the tree, you know, about as far as I could possibly move it, you know, or maybe it was my, about my chest height as I was sitting in the saddle, tied it off again onto the tree or tighten it down, opened the platform and then grabbed the hold of the tree, kicked off the tree again, stepped up onto the platform and kept doing that up the tree until I got to the height that I wanted to be at. Now, the good news was, is that I didn't need to get that high up because the cover wasn't too terribly high up. It might've been like 12 feet, um, to where I got into some decent cover, some breakup. So I wouldn't be seen, but in past years, you know, if I was if I was using a stand or anything but a climber, it's like that would have been a walk back to the truck situation, most likely, um, to to get up the to get up the tree. Or if not, if you were using some type of hang on, it would have been a lot more challenging to make happen. But because of the lightweight nature and mobile nature of the gear, I was able to get into the tree and save my hunt. So finally, was up in the tree at stand or at stand height or at uh, hunting height, and uh, sure enough, right at first light you know, the doe started coming around, uh, came from behind me and I wasn't anticipating. I had a perfect win. I, I expected them to come from just to the front and left of me, um, which is what I had been kind of seeing on trail camera. Um, but unfortunately this deer got, was downwind of me. Like I heard them coming in the morning and then they just kind of circled behind me. And I knew I was kind of maybe in trouble. Um, cause that was where my wind was blowing to. Um, but they didn't catch my scent. Like they didn't blow out right away or whatever. So I thought maybe I'm safe. And so right at first light, lead doe started working her way around me and I grabbed my bow and she must've just caught my scent. Cause as soon as I went to lean to get my bow, whether that, or maybe she saw me, I don't know, but she, you know, locked onto me. I stayed still. She hopped away. She stood at like, when I first saw her, she was probably at seven yards and then she bounded to like maybe 15 yards and she just stood there. But there was no way at that point that I could get my bow, get drawn and all that stuff and, and, and do it without being without being busted. So I just kind of sat there and she, you know, eventually then did for sure catch my wind is then she kind of took off. And then the rest of the deer followed her out across the timber. And I saw, I guess there was like six deer with them. I I'm guessing it was that group that I saw walking in. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I had a good setup that was, it was pretty dynamite for where I thought the deer were going to come from and just goes to kind of show, man, these places where you've never hunted before, you never know for certain where they're going to come from. Um, I wasn't, you know, kind of my fault that you know, I wasn't paying attention to what was behind me well enough. You know, I heard those deer and I just assumed they kind of worked their way into the swamp behind me and were gone. Like I didn't anticipate they were going to loop back around and try to use that two track to get back to bed. I just assumed they were going to go through the swamp to get to bed because they're, there are a bunch of trails in there that I scouted this summer. And so they can for sure get to wherever they need to get to back through there by, you know, not necessarily using the two tracks. So that was my hunt on Saturday and then, or Saturday morning. And then Saturday afternoon was, oh, I mean, it was hot. It was, I think the high was like 88 or something like that. And so 
my plan was is that I wasn't going to hunt any prime places and, you know, I wasn't willing to necessarily set up anywhere where I thought I would have a good chance to kill a deer at some point this season. So what my plan was, was really just, you know, to kind of go in light, um, you know, which is nice with the, with the gear that I use, I'm able to kind of keep things light and just, you know, put my saddle on predator pack with the platform on my back. And I hit this piece of public that I hung a camera on, had a decent deer on, but don't know, but didn't know much about the, the, the piece and just kind of told myself, Hey, let's go do a scout and we'll cover whatever we can cover. Go to some places that we've looked at on the map and said, this might be a decent spot and, and just kind of suss out if in fact it is decent or if it is not. <laughs> and what I was really looking for was just some early season sign. Like I was looking for, is there a, a scrape that's opened up like for, that their deer are communicating? And then what that basically would tell me is that not necessarily that they're, you know, put laying down scrapes for dominance or anything like that. But what it's telling me is that deer are frequently in this spot enough to where there is a, a piece of, you know, white tail communication, a communication hub. They're using this to talk to one another. They're figuring out who's in the area. Does I'm sure are hitting it just as well as bucks would be and so forth. But it tells me that I'm in a place that has deer traffic. Right. Um, so I was looking for that and any, you know, fresh rubs that I might have seen where they were you know, peeling velvet or whatever. It tells me that there's a buck in the area. Um, you know, I was really just kind of, you know, hunting deer hunting in general. So I was happy to take a doe, um, if necessary. But as I did my scalp, made my way through. I found a couple places that were intriguing to me. There was one spot in particular, I didn't see any sign, but there was, it's this really little secluded spot up against this really nasty thick cover. And there's one, uh, oak tree in there that's dropping acorns. Like there's other oaks in other parts of this that I run onto it. But in this particular spot, it's just the, where the, the brush just kind of opens up and there's a handful of, you know, hardwood trees that are in there and there's a single oak tree that's dropping. And I was like, man, this would be a really good setup here probably in the next, the next couple of weeks. And so I wasn't really willing to put a hunt on in that spot because I don't have a whole lot of intel uh, about it and didn't want to necessarily blow it out because I think it could be decent on this public piece. It's the furthest, I guess, what would it be? It would be the eastern end of this public, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to visualize it in my visualize it in my head. Yeah, I believe it to be the eastern corner of the public. And it starts to get toward this creek bottom that I kind of wanted to get to. And so... Um, and that creek bottom just kind of engulfed in, you know, what had been clear cut years ago and just really, really good habitat. It's in between that phase of like really good bedding, a handful of trees you could probably get into to hunt. Um, but otherwise not, a, not a lot of huntable trees necessarily. And so you really kind of have to pick the right, the right spot. So it just, it's one of those places when you look at it, you say, this looks really bucky. Um, and so the plan will be once we get some cooler temperatures, we'll be to get in there and kind of, you know, further assess it and try to and try to put on some hunts in there. Possibly we'll see how the season plays out, but those were my two hunts. It was super hot. So after I saw what I needed to see, didn't see any banger sign that told me to set up instead of boogering anything up any further, I just decided to peace out and uh, head back to the truck. So learned a few things about that piece, which is really cool. Don't feel like I damaged anything. Um, cause I didn't spend a lot of time there necessarily, um, you know, to, to pollute the area with my scent. And then as the white tail gods had rained down upon me after I got home, it rained immediately. So that was kind of like the other icing on the cake. So it was a nice rainstorm kind of wash everything out. No harm, no foul. It's as if I was never, ever there, which is exactly what we want. So, with that, that's kind of what I've been into for this past whitetail uh, week. And then, of course, we have the opener statewide here in PA that's coming up, which I'm super stoked for. And we have a killer temp drop that's happening on Thursday where it's going to go from like the high 70s, almost 80 degrees, I think, drop to like 
66 on Thursday and then 64 on Friday. And I want to say the high of 62 on Saturday. So a nice front blowing in for the season opener. Everyone else in PA, you'll have a nice cold front blow through for Saturday for that for opening day, which is awesome. Um, I'll hopefully be able to catch um, three days of that. You know, I'm definitely going to get out at least one of those mornings of Thursday and, and Friday. And we'll see if I get some evening in there as well. Um, I actually have the the exact wind that I need to hunt this one deer that I, that I was just talking about. Um, that wind will be coming through on Friday with that cold front. So um, fingers crossed the the forecast holds and uh, I know where I will be Friday morning before work. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get cracking and get to the show. Have a cool show today. Uh, have Lindsay Zastra on. Lindsay is someone who I started following on Instagram and just kind of kept, you know, watching what she's been up to. She's a diehard bow hunter. Uh, she shoots competitively. Um, she's a, a hell of a fisherwoman uh, as well. And what kind of attracted me to her, and we talk about this a little bit when she and I start our conversation, is that there's this time of year, especially you get a lot of, I'm using air quotes here, huntresses, you know, showing you I'm shooting a bow and I'm holding it upside down or whatever the case is. And in many instances kind of gives, you know, our female sisters, uh, you know, bow hunting sisters, a bad name in the space because, you know, some brands and companies and so forth are using these folks to try to promote their products and, and, and so forth. And, and these people aren't really representative of who, of who we are. And so for me, at least it's refreshing when I see a woman who is a diehard bow hunter who is grinding, she's out there getting it. She killed a hell of a deer last year. Um, and then I also got her into saddle hunting. So she's also joined the ranks of our saddle brothers and sisters as well, which is super awesome. So super stoked to have her on. I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I'm joined by Lindsay Zastro. And please tell me that I got your name right there because we just talked about it and I'd feel really bad if I butchered it. So that was right, right? Yep, that, that's correct, Zastro. <laughs> nice. It's a, if there was a, it, I thought for a second you said Astro whenever you first said it. And it actually made me think of, and this might be showing my age a little bit, but I, like the dog on the Jetsons name was Astro. And that was like my favorite. Oh yeah, that was my favorite cartoon dog. Yeah, no. Growing up, a lot of people um, that that ages me as well. But yeah, growing up, uh, kids in school always thought that was my last name, and that I was related to the dog. But <laughs> no, Pez is the opposite opposite end of the alphabet. Right. Nice. Nice. So thanks for joining. So the way Lindsay and I kind of met was just, you know, I'm just going to be honest. It was, I was uh, on Instagram and I kept seeing this person popping up in my feed and I was following you and it was, it was Lindsay and you were always shooting your bow. You were, or you were fishing or you were hunting or something like that. And I just kind of stopped and thought about it for a second. And I was like, man, you know, a lot of the, and I'll call quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, um, quote unquote huntresses, right. Are always kind of doing their hunting pose, if you will. Um, which seems a little inauthentic uh, to, to a degree. And that's, we can maybe dive into that, but I was like, here's this, this woman who is just like getting after it and is legit. And so you just kind of intrigued me. And so I kind of continued to follow and, uh, and ended up just reaching out to you and saying, Hey, I've been following your stuff for a little while like to know if you'd like to come on the show and chat and lo and behold, you said, yes, I would like to. And it took us a little while to get it together, but, uh, thanks for being willing to come on and, and chat deer hunting with me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. That authenticity uh, factor is something I really pride myself in. So, so those words really mean a lot. And I thank you for being patient with, uh, 
my schedule this summer has been a little hectic uh, traveling for work. So appreciate appreciate that as well. Yeah, you bet. And then, of course, we have, you know, you had some allergies. We were trying to get this in like a week or so ago. Some allergies flared up. I wish the... I wish the weather would just kind of try to decide whether we're going to go into fall or if we're going to have like, if we're going to do summer for like another week or two, let's just do summer and stop teasing me because we keep getting these like nice cold kind of evenings and cold mornings. And then, you know, I think it was like 60 something one day this past week. And now I think tomorrow it's going to be like 88, 89, which does no good for me and, and my allergies either. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. My, uh, for how much I love the outdoors, I think I have some of the most. Uh, outdoor allergies of anyone I know so I'm ready for stuff to start dying for uh, hunting purposes and for allergy purposes right dying for both that's right I like it (laughs) we could (laughs) just do a lot of killing all over the place man um so before we I I of course know a little bit about you because we had a chance to talk you know offline and have a phone conversation just to kind of connect there a couple months ago and learned a little bit about you and we're going to dive into some things you know in in your world here in, in a few minutes but if you don't mind, uh, just to kind of give the folks out there listening a sense of who you are, where you're from, and what you do for a living, that would be awesome. Yeah, so I grew uh, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and then um, since then moved away for college, uh, spent some time overseas, uh, moved back to Nebraska, and um, eventually kind of found my way over to Iowa. Um, so I live in Iowa on a property um, that I, I do my best to manage the deer herd on, um, have enough, uh, enough acres to um, kind of do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then work, I actually work over in Omaha. A lot of people um, have the misconception that I actually work in the industry, and I don't. I work for Corporate America. Um, I work at TD Ameritrade. We're a stock brokerage firm um, as an enterprise consultant. So I'm essentially an internal consultant to the firm um, doing a lot of analysis and have a senior analyst title. Um, not that that means much, but uh, so that's what I do during the day. Um, I'm really thankful that uh, it gives me the flexibility to work from home every once in a while, work uh, kind of varied hours when I need to get stuff done around the property or on other properties. Um, I hunt and then, um, you know, if, it's, if it looks weather-wise to be shaping up for a good hunting, uh, maybe on a Friday or that weekend, I can kind of work with my manager to uh just have a little bit more freedom than the really strict eight to five. So I, I feel really blessed to kind of really love what I do in corporate America, but have it allow me the time um, to spend outside. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's key. Cause I, you and I kind of talked about this. It's, you know, I, I'm in the, the corporate world myself and it just recently, I guess in the past, uh, I guess like the past six months, I took a new position at a new place and that they have a unlimited PTO policy. So, um, hence I'm coming out to Iowa, your neck of the woods for a couple of weeks in November, which is super cool. But then like, I can truly now watch weather patterns in October and be like, Hmm, cold front on Friday. Hey guys, Friday, I'm probably not going to be in, or I'm going to be in late, you know, one of those types of things, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> which, which is really nice. I've not had that flexibility like that in the past. So I'm looking to put that to, uh, to full use, but we're going to dive into this here in a, in, in a little bit, but uh, we're going to touch on like the whole analysis and analytics thing, a part of your job. Cause I know that it plays a big, uh, a big part in your, your deer hunting, but the property that you're, that you're working on, that you do some management, what kind of management stuff are you doing? Um, so I, I live on 40 acres, so it's, it's not a ton, um, but it's, it's enough to kind of hold, hold deer. Um, 
I'm the only wooded area surrounded by I don't know how many kind of hundreds of acres um, on one side of my properties in the bluffs and the others kind of river bottom. Um, and so I run food plots uh, within the woods, cutting trails, um, doing the hinge cuts, working on kind of just that habitat of really trying to create trails where the deer feel secure and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that lead to kind of where I want them to funnel to. And it's, it's definitely been a work in progress. Um, I had huge plans this year to do um, a complete overhaul of kind of the pasture area on um, the one side of my property, probably four or five acres. I was going to disc up, make into a massive food plot, do kind of a crow's nest in this old tree that I have um, for scouting and for hunting from. And then unfortunately this fall, uh, the flooding that really hit mm-hmm. Nebraska and Iowa hard. Uh, yeah. My property was part of that. And so that that part of my property was six and a half feet underwater. And wow. to give um, some folks perspective, I kayaked to my barn and actually kayaked over a six-foot chain link fence. Jeez. Um, so, it, I mean, the plans I had for my property this year went out the window, not only due to the flooding, but I lost both of my tractors, my four-wheeler Jeez. implements, um, and I mean, I still feel blessed that my house was fine. Um, the town I live near, the entire town was unfortunately wiped, wiped yeah. out and people lost far more than I did. Um, right. But yeah, kind of my big plan uh, to, to keep furthering my property um, were, were put on hold. And, um, you know, being that I'm the only one kind of managing the property, it, it does it does get daunting and overwhelming to look at kind of a list of things I want to do. Um, but that's why every year I just try to focus a little, a little at a time. If it's daylighting some trees to eventually put a plot in kind of in the bluff or working on the trails or working on clearing different areas. I, I just try to take a little bit at a time and have, even though I'm super stubborn, have come to the stark realization <laughs> that Rome definitely wasn't built in a day. So right. I shouldn't expect my property that had not been touched in 10 years to become, um, you know, this deer sanctuary overnight either. That it's, it's a gradual process. Right, right. That's a, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I have, a, it's, I guess, just about 60 acres back home on my dad's property. Um, and then we have Another family farm that I've done a bunch of work to, I haven't done a bunch of work to it in years just because it was, there's a lot of folks who hunted it and stuff like that. And it's three hours from where I live. So it's really hard to get back. So I've been doing some stuff gradually at my dad's and it's kind of the same thing where it's like every year I try to do just one thing because it is still three hours you know, for me to get there. So every year I kind of take on a task of, am I updating a food plot? Am I going to do like the next year? The big thing for me is I've been really interested in the whole idea of like the organic, like food plotting type of thing. Um, where they use, I forget, it's called Buffalo something. It's, it's basically trying to mimic what happened out in the Midwest, you know, when Buffalo roamed the earth. And part of the reason why the soil they say is so good is because Buffalo ran down all the prairie grass and stuff like that. And basically made this nice bed of uh, decomposing, you know, uh, matter essentially. And so you try to, yeah. And you try to mimic it similarly by using like a crimper and you crimp like all the tall stuff. So it's like, you know, I'd go through and kind of, you know, if there were, if there was like, say like there was some type of like grain cover crop in it just for like this winter or whatever you go through and you would crimp it, um, in the, I guess right around spring green up and it would basically die. Cause you would crimp it in a couple of different places when the crimper ran over it and it would die. And then as it would die, you would basically 
uh, seed over top of that. And then that layer of decaying, you know, plant matter would then act as almost like a mulch and keep the soil temperature, no matter how hot it got, keep it probably right around like 75 to like 80 degrees because it'll act as insulation when it gets cold and also insulation as when it gets warm and the sun starts to beat on it. And it takes a couple of years for it to really take effect uh, really, really well. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how much success I have, but I have grand plans for that and we'll see how, how far I get. <laughs> yeah, no, so. that, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, my dad was into it. He was like, cool, let's do it. And I'm a do-it-yourselfer, like, through and through. So, like, you can go buy a crimper and pay an arm and a leg for it. But I was like, man, a crimper is just a glorified, like, old hot water tank with, like, some angle iron, you know, uh, welded onto it, you know, at angle or whatever. And I was like, you know, I got a welder, you know, it's like access to a welder. And I, I learned to weld as a kid growing up. I was like, so, I was like, sounds like a fun project for me. And then as I get into it, I'm like... Man, I just don't. Well, going back to the corporate America job, I'm like, man, I just don't know if I have the time to like tackle that project from start to finish. Maybe I just buy a crimper. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll see. But that's uh, that's cool. The uh, I was just gonna ask you something else about your about your property. How many years have you been working on it? Did you say and I missed it? Um, it's it's been three or four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, when I purchased it, uh, it hadn't been touched in ten years. So I mean, I was coming into 10 years of just massive overgrowth Mm -hmm. and so it took a solid year just to get through that um through that alone and then um just yeah like like i said just a little bit of progress each year and then this year with the flood um the overgrowth obviously isn't as bad as 10 years of it but i i feel like feel like it is on that side because i haven't really had the chance to mow or or do much right. much down there right now the area you live in does it flood frequently or is this kind of like something that was a freak a freak thing um it so we had a bad flood back in 20 but it didn't get this far it didn't get into the town i live near mm-hmm. um so when when the i actually had firemen come up uh, my driveway to my house and told me i was under mandatory evacuation i was mm-hmm. like what are you talking about like I, I had no idea the magnitude, and so I went down to my barn and moved a few things, but really thought at most I might get a foot of water in my barn. Um, right. I mean, I'm six miles east, and I don't know how many miles north of two of the major rivers that flooded, and I mean, if you uh, think of that, I'm six miles away, and I'm right. six and a half feet of yeah. water. I mean, that that's... That's crazy. I, I hope this doesn't become become a theme if it does i might be uh starting to pick up duck and, and right. goose hunting and <laughs> put my bow down a little bit because cause that's uh that's going to be the one side of my property here if it keeps that up right now curious that to see have you noticed like you know years that it's flooded in the past not this bad of course but just general flooding you know generally speaking or even this year, it being more severe, have you noticed the deer kind of move any differently after after this happens, or do they adapt pretty quickly and kind of go back to their normal areas? Of course, food sources probably have changed a little bit, and maybe where they're bedding have changed a little bit. But do you do you kind of see that they adapt pretty quickly? Um, I have noticed a huge change. So mm-hmm. over the the span of time that I've been here, I've been kind of managing a herd up. Um, have had what I've seen is a pretty solid, uh, solid age structure and have seen kind of the same bucks have been watching the same bucks. And ever since the flood, 
I have nothing on camera. I no. see a few doe here and there. I have I have two decent bucks on camera stroll through maybe once a week, but nothing like years past. I mean, I've had years where I easily had three or four shooters um, coming through on a routine basis on camera, um, had some really nice bachelor groups. And I mean, this the flooding has completely... I think they've gone more into the bluff and then no one around me has been able to plant. And so there's mm -hmm. no food source right. um, really. There's a couple of really small fields, but nothing in comparison to what they've had in the past. So right. I have a feeling they're going uh, further north and then yeah. back, back into the bluff because my mm -hmm. camera poles um, have been, been quite, um, Pretty quite different than years, yeah. years past. Yeah. Now, do you think, you know, cause I know you were saying that you have like the, the, the chunk of timber that's in between, you know, all these food sources that seem that aren't going to be around for, for this year, you know, generally speaking, you know, do you have, is there good acorns on your, on your property? Do you think, do you think once like October hits and those, you know, ag food sources typically as they go, you know, dormant or they start to transition and spend, you know, quote unquote, the October law, whenever they kind of head to the timber and they're finding plenty of food in there, when the acorns start dropping, do you think that it might put you in the game again in, in that go around? Or is, do you think that it's just going to be kind of a struggle for the year? Um, I do have a lot of acorns. Um, and in years past, there was just so much food. They haven't really hit them, mm -hmm. hit them too hard. Um, but I do, like, I definitely haven't given up all hope on my property. I've seen, especially closer to the rut, I've seen just massive cruisers come through. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen them in person, but just on trail cams. Right. And so, I mean, I, I know there's deer around, and I, I do have uh, the doe on my property are um, pretty regular. So mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that they kind of stick around and, I mean, shoot. In Iowa, if, if, if rut's going hot and heavy, you don't – anything could really happen. So <laughs> right. I'm not giving – given up all hope but uh um i definitely um it's going to be I a little bit of a different uh, ball game this year for you i guess is what, what it comes down yeah to. i don't i don't think i will be patterning um any bucks like i was last year on my property right. I, will, I will say that right right yeah i'm hoping to capitalize on the uh that anything can happen in iowa rut this year um i'm like if i could leave tomorrow i would i would leave tomorrow <laughs> to come out and sit in a tree what what part of the state are you going to? Um, zone wise, and it's funny because my my buddy who usually co-hosts the show with me, he's from Iowa, um, and so when I talk about zones, it's like I think he wasn't, I don't think he knew the zones because he's like as a local, he's like I don't know the zones, but it's uh, zone six, so it is in the southwest corner down, I'm sorry, southeast corner down near uh, like Farmington area. Okay. Uh, I think, and then there's another, there's one other town and I can't think of the name. It starts with a C that's down in, down in that area, but it's down close. It's down by the, uh, it's near the Des Moines river and it's right across the border from Missouri. Essentially is where I'm going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really looking, looking forward to the, uh, to the trip. But, uh, so let me ask you this. So how did you, how did you get started hunting? You know, it's, you know, my daughter, I've been trying to get her into hunting and she, we're doing our first deer hunt this year. Um, and I'm always curious, you know, cause a lot of times, and it's not that it's correct, but just stereotypically, right. Um, you know, at least in my family growing up and probably maybe not so much. So, you know, with uh, a younger generation of folks, 
but you know, you took the sons out hunting and stuff like that. And a lot of times, you know, the, the, the daughters didn't get to go for whatever reason, whether it didn't show interest or they just weren't provided the opportunity because they didn't think they would like it or whatever. I'm curious how you got started into, into hunting. Was this like a family thing or is it something you picked up later? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I definitely picked it up later. So growing up, um, my grandpa on my mom's side was a huge rifle hunter. Um, mm -hmm. And so always kind of, I mean, there was deer heads around and you'd hear about deer hunts. And then uh, on my dad's side, they had a family farm and they didn't deer hunt, um, but just kind of split time between the city and the farm and, mm -hmm. and really just enjoyed being outdoors. And my dad took me fishing all the time. We were um, always going out to some of the local lakes um, here in town. And then um, I was actually um, married at the time and my ex wasn't, he had grown up hunting, but kind of got away from it. And then his brother um, was really getting into bow hunting and really was like, you guys need to experience this. There's nothing like it. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. And um, just one day happened, uh, his dad was like, you should try to pull my bow back. And so here I am, I've never drawn a bow. I'm trying to draw a bow that's a couple inches too long for me. It was probably right. set at 60 pounds. And so I'm struggling, but like I, we put a paper plate up for the target and I was getting my arrows in the plate and I had, you know, shotguns and stuff growing up and right. I just, it, it just kind of felt like as awkward as the bow was, it still just felt right. right. Like it was one of those, like, I need a, kind of explore this like this is cool and I was a college athlete growing up I'm, I'm really competitive and so I'm always kind of looking for um, you know what what can I kind of get my hands around and really challenge myself with and and at that time it was like you know this is the next thing that I can can really start studying and becoming like a student of the game and and so that was kind of it I think it was a few weeks later I had bought my first bow a mission flare and mm -hmm. was in the basement uh, you know had help from uh, my brother-in-law at the time of shooting mechanics but it was a lot of just self-learn uh, watching youtube videos videoing myself and you know thankfully i had that kind of athletic background uh, where i could um, take various pieces of coaching and kind of uh, internalize it and and kind of work on things myself and right and that's kind of how how it got started and then um was taken out for my first hunt and my ex like my first sit i was by myself so like the only thing i was told was like where to aim like nothing else so it was completely like i <laughs> i didn't know what i was doing right right and so i'm sitting there and i don't it was sometime it was during the rut and they gave me a set of antlers and I'm still so new. I'm like, I don't want I clink them together. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand this, but right. sure. 
so I'm sitting there in the stand down um, kind of in the river bottom and I hit those uh, the antlers together and I had this buck come just flying over the hill. I mean, looking That's back, awesome. it was a decent, not, not a monster, but it was a decent sized buck. And out loud, I said, holy expletive, expletive. Because, <laughs> like, I had never seen, like, I didn't expect that at all. And right. I was in such awe that of what I was seeing. I didn't even think, even with yelling, it didn't spook the deer. Um, but didn't even think to grab my bow. Right. <laughs> I'm just, I was so just in awe and overcome with just adrenaline that I, I couldn't think I was just intent on watching this deer. And so I get, I get in and, and my ex-father-in-law is like, Oh, you know what? What'd you see this, that? And he's like, you didn't grab your bow. I was like, Nope, that was the furthest thing from my mind. But I guess <laughs> next time that will be, that's kind of the point of why I'm out there. So it, right. it's definitely been a lot of, uh, self-learning and, and now that um, I've been divorced a while of, of really just trying to figure it out and I think a lot of us are are in the same boat of um, you know things things change it's deer hunting is one of those things that's predictably unpredictable and right. um, I think you have to kind of just be okay with that I, I do feel some people want to they feel like they have something to prove and mm-hmm. And it's just one of those that I, I learned something every sit. I mean, yeah. 100%. the minute you stop to stop learning, I mean, I don't know if I ever got to that point. I, I don't know that I have the right passion, I guess, but that's right. just how I look at it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny cause I'll talk to people about, you know, deer hunting it at work and stuff like that. And, and, and it's, it sounds like we're very, we're, we're birds of a feather. It sounds like to a degree to where it's like, when you get me starting to talk about it, it's like, I just go off the deep end, you know what I mean? And like, and so I'm in the office, like talking to one of my colleagues the other day and I started talking about like thermals and this, that, the other, you know what I mean? And he's just like, and he's just looking at me and he just stops and he goes, I had no clue that it was that like that in depth, you know? And and it's one of those things where it's like, and when I say I think we might be birds of a feather to a degree, is that your job requires you to be very analytical and strategic, you know. And my job, I work in marketing, and it's like I work a lot on like the strategy type of things. Um, and so it's always perpetually asking that question, why? You know, that's kind of what you're always are always are doing. And for me, like the deer woods lets me kind of be strategic that way where I get to kind of ask the question why and kind of try to uncover things and understand why a deer is doing a certain thing or why a terrain feature is working this year versus it, you know, never worked before. Or, you know, whenever you see a deer come running through in the rut, like, yes, is he chasing a doe or why did he happen to run through here during that time of day? You know, it's just like all those things that you never really answer. And I think never really being able to fully know that I've answered the question fully I think is the thing that kind of continues to bring me back over and over again. Um, Cause no matter how hard you try or how long you've been doing it, you'll never perfect it. You know, there is no perfect hunt. It doesn't exist. Um, but the, but I guess the, um, the attempt to try to find that perfect hunt, I think is the thing that like kind of drives me and, and gets me excited every, every year, even though, you know, I try to be regimented and process oriented and stuff like that. So I have a lot of, habits that I do that I'm very kind of neurotic about that I have to do it in these steps type of thing. But deer hunting is one of those things where it's just kind of like, 
out the window and I kind of freelance to a degree, um, which is which is nice. I wanted to ask you what what what, uh, um, what sport did you play in college? I played softball, and then um, I was lucky enough. Uh, I basketball was one of my main sports, and due to injury, uh, went the softball route and. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was really blessed to have the opportunity um, to play basketball in Spain um, and do some mission work after um, nice. my undergraduate degree. So that was my overseas uh, kind of part of my life. So basketball and softball were my main uh, main focus. Right. I'm always curious whenever people are, are athletes and just you know I've talked about this with some buddies you know because I grew up skateboarding, snowboarding. I wrestled growing up was like the primary sport that I played, um, but a lot of skateboarding, a lot of snowboarding, stuff like that. Um, and some of my buddies that we grew up similarly that are big time, you know, deer hunters and just, you know, super into it, DIY kind of guys or whatever, you know, we, we've often had the conversation about how our kind of solo sport, uh, mentality that we had growing up, whether it was wrestling and it's a solo thing or whether it's snowboarding and it's a, a solo thing or whatever the case was that like looking back on it, it's had a big influence in how I approach hunting. And it, they said that similarly to them, them too. Do you see any, I guess, similarities or things that you took from your days, you know, competing in athletics that you carry over into deer hunting that helps you? Your like routine. I think, um, like I know once I get to a stand, anything can really happen. But up until that point, I'm super OCD, like my, my scent game, um, how I get to the stand, wind, I mean, all of that, it's very regimented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say like when, when I have like a failed hunt, like if I'm busted or uh, maybe they caught my wind or, or something like that, it's, it's that mindset, I think, of being an athlete, of, of being able to shake it off. Um, mm-hmm. I've had a few, um, poor shots and, and so, and I think if you hunt long enough, you're eventually, um, unfortunately going to have those shots, no matter how much you practice and, and having that mindset of uh, just being able to get back out there of, of not letting it stop you, you know, in a, in a mm-hmm. game, if you have the air or you miss the final shot, it really gets you down and it weighs on you, but you just kind of have to have that fortitude and mental toughness to push on and, and really, um, kind of block, block that out the next time you're out there. And I think that really helps me. Um, like when I do have even just unproductive hunts where I don't see anything and I'm like, was it my scent? Was I moving too much? Was I doing this? Like just not letting that get the best of me of, of believing in, myself and the next time I hit the stand of, of really being able to block, block right. those previous hunts out and trying to focus on the positive. Yeah. I think the one thing that we collectively kind of said, you know, in, in this again is like, you know, wrestling, my buddies were like BMXers, skateboarders and snowboarders and stuff like that that are also big hunters. It was for us, the way we kind of looked at it because the sports for us were very much solo missions. And, you know, for example, like snowboarding or skateboarding or wrestling or whatever it is, but especially like X game sports, like snowboarding, skateboarding, like when you're trying to perfect a trick, like you fail at it a thousand times before you land it, you know what I mean? And you're just chasing that one time you land it when it feels perfect, you know? And to me, deer hunting was kind of the same way where it was like the failure rate is super high. (laughs) 
you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to fail like nine times out of 10. Or when I say fail, it doesn't mean that you did something wrong per se. It just meant that you came home with an unfilled tag or whatever. And failure is a bit, a bit subjective, but you know, we'll use that as like our parameters. Um, but it was that ability to kind of understand that like failure has to happen on, you know, undoubtedly to succeed. You know what I mean? Like no one ever picks anything up and succeeds every time at it, you know? And so it was that kind of like mindset, that aggressive kind of mindset and idea that my one buddy who is kills world-class animals almost every year, but that's like what drives him is that like that, you know, I failed 10 times, but it's like, I'm going to continue to pursue and grind and I'm going to get it done. I'm going to make it happen. It's that kind of mentality that, you know, in his opinion, pushes him over the top which is kind of interesting. So I'm always interested to see athletes that get into hunting, you know, and how that kind of, how that kind of plays out. But you also transitioned that kind of competitive, competitive stuff into archery shooting, correct? Do you shoot, if I'm not mistaken, you shoot competitively, right? Uh, I do a little bit. Work has really um, made that a bit difficult. I, I'll go to local 3Ds. I've shot at a few um, of the bigger 3D tournaments, um, I potentially might go to the Lancaster Classic this year. Um, I went to Winter Cam, the indoor 3D shoot, a couple years back. Um, I try to make it to as many as I can, especially here local, um, mm-hmm. but would really, really like to um, start getting into that a little bit more just for that challenge and to be um, to ensure that I'm really prepared when I do hit the stand in the fall. Right. Yeah. That's one thing for me, I think, in the past probably – I would say probably three years that I've like become obsessive about, about shooting my bow. Um, to the point now it's like, I'm getting into more and more like my setups and stuff like that. Like, you know, I never used to build my own arrows. Now I build my own, you know, build all my own stuff. You know, I never used to tune my own bow. I have a buddy of mine who's a killer archer wins competitive tournaments, you know, is just, he's kind of been my, my archery sensei, if you will, when I kind of wanted to get serious about yeah. shoot- <laughs> when I wanted to get serious about shooting, like we went out and we shot together and I was like, you know, don't, don't criticize me until we get off the 3d course. And then when we get back to the, back to the bags, you know, let me know what you, what you've seen. And let's talk about how I can fix some of this stuff. And we did that. And like, it's gone from like fixing my form, which, you know, fortunately he was like, you don't have a bunch of bad habits to break. He's like, it's not terrible. He's like, there's a few small things made me more accurate to where now it's, using, you know, back tension to release, you know what I mean? Like the whole transition from, you know, an evolution of, I guess, an archer, if you will. And so he usually does my bow setups for me, but then I built a DIY like paper tuning setup here so I can do a little bit of tuning myself. Um, and I finally can trust my, trust my own tuning. So it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things when, where it's, you know, I don't shoot competitively ever. It's, I think it's me. It's the latter point of just wanting to be ready when I'm on the stand, I think is really kind of why I do it. You know, wanting to make sure I can take an ethical shot and be, and be accurate. So, but, uh, I want to transition and talk a little bit more specifically about hunting. And this was part of what you and I were talking about when we had our initial conversation months ago. And one thing you mentioned, you know, when you were talking about like, you know, what might've went wrong with the hunt you were like, you know, was, you know, was my wind bad? Was I, did I get winded or what, whatever the case might be? And I never thought of like some of these things until you started mentioning them when, when, when we were chatting, but you know, being a woman in hunting, right. It's, you know, it, it, you, you may not have a lot of peers or as many as guys do. And I don't think guys really take into consideration, like how different it can be for a woman to hunt you know, similar to, similarly to how a guy does it. And I'm not saying from like a physical perspective, cause I, I'm a believer that 
you know, a woman can hunt just as hard as a guy can and can kill just as big as big of a deer or grind just as hard. Like all those things, in my opinion, are, are equal. But there are some considerations that have to kind of be made that you have to make that your guy friends don't have to. And so I, I want you to kind of talk about some of those and kind of how you prep for a hunt <laughs> and those considerations. Cause it's just, it was kind of interesting when, when we were chatting, I just think it'd be kind of cool for everyone to kind of hear it. Yeah. So that has definitely um, been one of the areas that I've had to learn um, along the way. I, I actually don't have any um, kind of female friends hunt um, around me. Like I have, girlfriends of course who I'm quote unquote friends with on social media and all of that but that live around me that I meet up with I don't have um, any any of those and so it, it has been a challenge of um, like okay well I see so and so is showering with this scent free stuff okay I have really long thick hair and after the first season of doing this I'm going to get my hair cut and my stylist is like what have you done to your hair? Like your hair is destroyed. I was like, Oh, well I use this shampoo like all, all season. She was like, did this, like, did you not realize how dry your hair was and all this? And I was like, well, yeah, but I guess I didn't pay a ton of attention. Like I knew it got super tangled all the time and all of that. And um, so I think just for starters, just having long hair and I've, I'm still, I'm still on the fence. I'm doing some experimenting this year. Um, um, last year before every hunt, I would wash my hair um, with scent-free shampoo. Out, outside of the so months before season, I actually start using scent-free and hypoallergenic mm-hmm. shampoo and conditioner, um, but not the like hunting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is a little bit more harsh. Um, so I, I try to help my hair out as much as I can. Um, <laughs> but but before every hunt last year, I would wash my hair and I'd actually go out to the field with wet hair. Um, and, and I've really been trying to find the happy medium because if you're in the stand long enough or you start to sweat or it's hot out, um, when you have wet hair and a braid or in a bun or anything, um, like the inside of it kind of starts to smell. Um, <laughs> so it's, I've, I've been toying with the, do I, wash it the night before with the scent stuff and then spray it down really good with field spray or, you know, what, what is the, I don't know. I still don't know what the best solution is to, for women's hair out, out in the outdoors. I do know I killed both of my bucks last year with wet hair. Um, I don't know. It sounds like wet hair is the way to go then. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I don't, I don't know if it was um, because I had killed a buck with, you know, day before washed hair and then come, you know, January when I'm out hunting. I mean, I had, I was trying to fill a doe tag this last year. It was like zero degrees and I had ice hanging off my hair and I was like, well, this is no fun. Right. Um, So just like hair in general has been really tough. And then one thing I didn't know, I've, I've wanted to do an article on this. Um, I've, I've started it. I need to finish it was I was UV testing some clothes just to hmm. see how how much UV different brands, um, like the camel patterns, give off. Right. And so I'm in my bathroom. It's pitch dark. I have my UV light shining it. And I just so happened to, like, glance over my hair. And 
because I'm getting older, my hair is getting darker and I prefer it to be more blonde to Uh make me feel younger (laughs) and highlighted, highlighted hair glows, at least mine does. I don't know if it depends on the chemicals you highlight it with or color, but for some reason, my blonde highlighted hair glows like crazy under a UV light. It's like if you're standing under a black light in a white t-shirt. Jeez. And so, I mean, I've I've always worn a hat in the stand, um, but you know, when you're looking on social media, you see some of these quotes, doing air quotes, huntresses with their right. bleach blonde hair yeah. in the stand that's down, and they're not wearing a hat. And it's like a big I'm white like, flag. <laughs> I'm like, I you you might as well put like a big siren above <laughs> your tree stand that's like, hey, dear, I am right here. Right. Um. So, I mean, thankfully, I I always wear a hat, but. That's something I just never knew. And I like took pictures and I sent them to my guy friends and they're like, yeah, I would have never thought of like yeah. telling you to check that or, or do anything, um, right. you know, to even consider that. And so those, those were two of the, the biggest things. And then I think, um, also is, you know, every, I, I don't know a girl who doesn't love a good tree stand selfie, but um, (laughs) like makeup, makeup in itself has scent in it. And so typically like when I go out, it's, there is not like I have, if I'm just going out for like dough and whatever, like I'll keep some makeup on. I don't don't intentionally take it off. I won't intentionally put it on, but I won't um, get my face down to, I guess, like right. bear as bear can be. And, um, so yeah, when I, when I go out uh, for my hunts, it is absolutely no makeup. Every ounce of hair on my head is either in a beanie or in a hat. Um, and so those were just things that over time I was like, Oh, I, I really need to pay attention to these. Cause it, again, it's just not stuff that, or advice I was given, um, because guys just don't have those issues. And and then I will say, I've actually seen a lot of posts lately on some of the like female hunting pages I've been on, on Facebook this fall about like, how do females successfully pee in a stand? And so <laughs> people have been posting like various products and then some have like, someone will post one and then another girl will chime in and be like, oh, I tried that one and actually... Like ended up covered in pee, so <laughs> might not want to do that one. Right. And so, I haven't um, started exploring that realm, but I think with some of the all-day sits, I'll have this fall. I'm going to have to figure something out because uh, hopping down and getting all those layers off—it's just not the the most feasible or efficient. So, right. so more to come on that. But it um, has been very interesting <laughs> to see so many girls like we all obviously have this issue and there's not one um just easy solution right i'll have to find out what my wife has because she she has these things that she takes that she has them in like the glove box of my truck the glove box of her car for when we're traveling and stuff like that that way if she has to go and we can pull alongside the road and they're pretty clever and pretty convenient and my 11 year old daughter uses them too so it's like i know that they are easy to use and do work because she would end up making a mess if not um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll have to figure. I'll, I'll ask her what they are, um, and then I'll text you and let you and let you know because it seems like it might be the solution that you're looking for, and they're pretty cheap on Amazon. So I'll, I'm, I'm making a note. I'm putting down pea cups 
That way I remember to do that. (laughs) So, all right. I want to shift gears here along the same kind of vein, but you mentioned, you know, um, Huntress, the word, the word Huntress, which kind of evokes a a certain kind of, I think, um, thought, you know, process for, for, for most folks. Um, So I just want to ask you, and we can take this wherever we want to, wherever we want to go, but do you feel that women in general in hunting and I love like the more that women get involved in hunting, the, the, the better. And like, I think even though hunter numbers are going down and don't quote me on this, but I feel like I read somewhere where actually female hunters are going up, um, because they're getting more interested in like the organic, you know, clean proteins and et cetera. So they're interested in hunting and not just deer hunting, but all types. Um, but I want to ask you if you feel like women on in, in general, you know, in hunting represent themselves well on the whole or not. What are your thoughts? I feel like the truly authentic um, hunters who happen to be female really represent themselves well. I don't Mm -hmm. think it takes more than scrolling through an Instagram feed to quickly identify if someone's authentic or if someone's uh, doing it for just the likes or Mm -hmm promotion or pushing product or something like that. So, so I do feel the girls who are just really getting out there and, and getting it done and grinding and putting in the work, um, they're doing a, a pretty good job of representing themselves. I, I have seen kind of girls who are truly authentic, but maybe feel to get, um, yeah insta famous or whatever that they need to fit into this mold and and it's like what are you doing like you're you're authentic like don't you don't have to kind of go that path of posting really staged pictures or maybe more provocative pictures or posting tree stand selfies with your hair down and tons of makeup on because everyone knows you're more than likely not going to kill a deer that way you might get lucky Um, But like just that, that kind of stuff. Um, And, and it has, I think in the last couple of years, I've even seen um, the guys, like guys who hunt become more annoyed with this as well, which is, Mm -hmm. I don't know if makes me feel better is a good thing, but um, like the fact that guys are like, they see through it. It's like, they're, they're kind of, yeah, just annoyed as well. Um, yeah. I mean, annoyed is a strong word, but I, I will admit, like, when I see some super stage posts or, like, the other day I saw a picture of, um, and if I've, I sent it to a few people so people know who it is, so I'm not trying to be um, the B word, but right. there's this girl in Texas, like, posing with doves in the middle of Texas in sandals. Right. And I was like, I was like, are you like, are you rattlesnake proof? Like, why are you in like a field in the middle of Texas and right. like flip flops and like clearly you brought a change of clothes to take pictures right. of like after the hunt, which I don't know. I, I'm just kind of a country girl anyway, and that's something that never crosses my mind. I get that there are girls who really take pride in, in the way they, they look and the way they present themselves, but that one to me was the most recent one where I was just like, Oh my gosh, like 
Right. You're wearing sandals in like rattlesnake country. Like that makes no sense to me. Um, Selling sandals. That's what's happening there. Yeah. Like, like just, just stuff like that. Or, um, yeah. Like you, you can always tell there's been, um, some posts lately where it's been the guys getting on pictures of girls where like their front, uh, girl's front arm is super bent. Like clearly their draw is far too short. And right. I mean, I think I've seen that a lot lately where I yep. just saw pictures the other day, the girl, her string was between like the crease of her nose and her uh, face. And then her front arm was bent like four inches, right. but yet there she was promoting I don't, I don't know what it was. Insert and, name brand bow here. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was just like anyone who's truly like a hunter is like, I don't know for, I, it, it could be different for guys. Cause unfortunately like in any, in any realm of product sex sells, yeah. but as a woman, I don't, I don't like, Yes, there are very attractive male hunters, like very attractive. But if they're pushing a product, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go buy that product because this hot guy is pushing it. I'm like, what can it do for me? How is it going to benefit me in the field? Like, what's the cost comparison? Like, I I don't know. So I still, even from a company perspective, I'm like, what kind of revenue are you making off? Like, you're putting money into these quote-unquote huntresses but like are you truly seeing money because i think everyone gets it by now like yeah that's the thing that i've always out there getting it done yeah and that's the thing i've always wondered too because i've had some buddies who work in the industry for some larger brands and you know one of them i I talked to pretty candidly about it just like you know what's up and he was like we don't touch them you know he's like they just he's like i honestly don't know how it works for some of these companies basically saying what you're saying he's like i don't understand like what the re- how there's a return there. He's like, because anyone who knows anything kind of recognizes that it's a farce at best. You know what I mean? But I think you have to take into consideration, you know, just the sheer, like a numbers play, right? Like if there's 15 million hunters, you know, in the US-ish, give or take 11 million, whatever it is nowadays, I think it's 11, Right what percentage of that is, is are like hardcore hunters that really kind of like do the dissecting and studying, you know, what gear they're going to buy and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And what percentage of them are just going to go basically on memory recall when they walk into Cabela's, you know what I mean? And buy the first thing that they can remember that they saw. And if it was like memorable because it was some girl and scantily clad holding something, it's like that guy's probably going to remember that. You know what I mean? And it's not even that they trust it necessarily, but it's just more of a general awareness, you know, is probably how I would look at it. But I also think like, you know, I also think hunting doesn't do like women any favors in that regard either because they're the ones also kind of pushing the narrative to a degree. You know what I mean? So, you know, sometimes ladies are out there and just like if, you know, if you're borderline into hunting, you don't really care, but you have an Instagram following and someone says, hey, you know, I'll give you X amount of dollars to post this for this year and do this for me. It's like, you're like, well, whatever. It's like, cool. Yeah. I'll make a couple bucks. And like, you don't really care. Like you don't have any attachment to it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think that honey doesn't do the industry any favors in that regard. And I will also say that type of thing. I don't feel is only reserved for women either. I think nowadays 
you see plenty of insta famous dudes in hunting doing the same thing you know what i mean uh, yeah i would i would definitely say it's uh on both sides and that yeah. i have noticed more i'd say in the last year or so where it's the guy version of a huntress where they are decked out all the name brand stuff um maybe have you know a, a substantial following and you look and it's like have you harvested anything like right. Like what you just take pictures of yourself in this gear or very staged picture. I mean, it's essentially the, the same thing. Just yeah. yes. Or, or in the gym. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen it. And as frustrating uh, for me as just the, like, cause like my goal has never been and will never be to quote unquote, make it in the industry. Like yeah. I, I made a post the other day. If social media didn't exist, I would be out here doing the exact same thing day yeah. in and day out. It would not change my routine. It would not change my passions. It, it, I would be living the completely same life. Um, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I just like, I, I've known, so for me, it, it does get frustrating to see girls who don't have that drive and passion, you know, mm -hmm. maybe get free product or go on various hunts or get sponsored by a company that I've been trying to work with for four years that can't even get their attention. Right. Um, but I've talked to enough guys who are far more knowledgeable than me, like way more knowledgeable, have so many more hunts under their belt. Um, there's one guy in particular that I was really good friends with, was fortunate enough to go on a few hunts with and learned just a tremendous amount. And because um, he didn't fit that mold of what companies were looking for, he couldn't get any, like he was just trying to write very informative articles, mm -hmm. like do wanting to do like videos and wasn't really looking for anything in return. He was just wanting to share the knowledge that he had gained over so many years and companies wouldn't even talk with him. Yep. And I was like, Holy smokes. Like here's this guy that I could listen. Like he could just give lectures on hunting essentially. Yep. And so, I mean, I like, I get frustrated, but I can only imagine for, um, even guys who are far more knowledgeable and more experienced than me, that that frustration um, kind of carries over. But I, I think kind of to my point, the saving grace and all of that is at the end of the day, I'd still be doing what I'm doing. So yeah, I get frustrated, but then it's like, that's not why I'm doing this. So yeah. I can't let that kind of jade, jade my vision. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've always said like, you know, people ask me about being quote unquote, you know, in, the hunting industry. And I even hate even saying the word, um, or the two words together. Um, cause I don't really consider myself to be in the realm. I, I'm like, I have a podcast that I run and, um, you know, I still have a day job and that's how I make my living, you know? So I don't really consider myself to be in the, in the quote unquote in, uh, industry. I, I feel like I'm kind of on the periphery of it <laughs> for the most part, kind of observing things that happen and maybe have a little closer of a, of a seat to kind of watch what happens. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, I started this just basically because I wanted to meet people, right? And then it's gone now for like going on four years, you know, and I have some folks that I, that I work with, and but they're all people that I know that are, that are friends, you know what I mean? And that's kind of where I've kept it. Um, 
because it's I've been to like the ATA stuff where like you know you talk to different brands and stuff like that and like you can tell who's who's genuine and who's not like for me it's relationship building like I like if I'm going to do something with somebody like I don't want to just do it once I want to do it and have a relationship because number one I like you and that's first and foremost right because if I don't like you I don't want to really do anything with you um, business wise or, or otherwise. And so that's kind of like my first litmus test is like, do I like you? You know, and if the answer is yes, then it's like we can move to the second phase of that is like, do I believe in your product? And if that answer is yes, then awesome. Then the next one is, do I feel like it would benefit me in a hunting scenario? It's like, and if the answer is yes, then, then it's like, I try it. And then if like I try it and it works effectively as I would like it to work, then I can get behind it. And that's kind of my approach um you know and that's like i guess the long way of me saying that you know, like i'll never be a hunting celebrity <laughs> yeah no but that's that's uh yeah i've kind of turned down working with companies or um, stopped using products uh, for that reason like i'm when i'm out in the woods if i'm not 100 percent confident in it i don't care if i mean someone tried to like give me all the free product I could ever imagine or give me a little bit of a stipend. Like it doesn't matter if, if I'm not co- confident with it or like the people behind the brand kind of to your point, like yeah, I'm not going to be taking it with me and I'm not going to be promoting anything I don't truly, truly believe in. Right. So I want to shift gears here now and talk a little bit about, cause I wanted to get to this and I know we're running up on an hour. So I want to, I want to dive into it. So I want to, I want to ask you pointedly, how was your, your season last year? And I have a point for asking about this because I want to dive into the analytics aspect of things from your profession and how it relates to deer hunting. So first off just high level, how was your season? And then we'll, then we'll, we'll jump in a little further. Yeah, so last year it will definitely be a year to remember and a year to beat. Um, it definitely, I feel the pressure this year. Um, but yeah, I was fortunate enough. Um, on, I forget, it was like seven days, I think, into the season. Um, harvested a beautiful six by seven um, buck. I think the gross score was around 163 nice. um, inches. And then seven days later, almost to the hour, in Iowa, I have a landowner's tag and a state archery tag. Um, went out with my state archery tag um, to one of my buddies' farm, and almost to the minute, um, harvested a really nice—I forget what he was. Might have been a five by four, mm-hmm. smaller, smaller rack, but just horse, horse of a body. Um, and then uh, for deer, that those those were my two bucks. Um, harvested. Everyone called it like an elk. <laughs> whitetail hybrid doe just an absolute monster of a doe and then um, because i had filled my buck buck tag so early i i was blessed enough to go down to florida and chase some gators and hogs but um, nice yeah that that six by seven was um that's a hammer was yeah it was um i i still kind of am in shock that it all all kind of came together i don't know that that was ever kind of sink in even seeing them up on my wall every day it's <laughs> it's hard to believe right so which one because i, I want to well let me just ask it this way you know i know as you'd mentioned you know your earlier your career path and what you do for a living is very analytical um and so i want to kind of get a sense of 
how that analytical approach to your work also filters into your, into your deer hunting. I guess, give me some examples of, of how that happens. Yeah. So the six by seven was the book I would say I truly patterned. I know, um, again, deer are predictably unpredictable, but I, I truly feel I patterned that when I went out that night, I've never had the sense like I am going to kill this animal and I, I just knew. Um, and so that, that buck, what I started doing, and I know their patterns change and their ranges change um, depending on the season, but I started taking, like I, once their antler growth was substantial, um, I started kind of taking catalog of, of what, what bucks would potentially be shooters. And, and last year was really kind of the first year I took it to this level. Um, and so every Every single time I had that buck on camera, I wrote down the location, the time, the temperature. I mean, all the information I could get from my trail camera pictures on that buck and just kind of analyze those patterns over the summer, over the fall. And then um, it seems like in October, they just kind of vanish. They do out here anyway. And um, so I was like, okay, I, I need a camera need to catch him at the beginning of October before he just becomes a ghost like so many deer I've had on my property have. And um, September, I kind of start taking all this data and then taking um, the data from September and, and really trying to look at patterns of was it night or day? Was he showing up in daylight? What was the moon phase? What was the pressure? What was the temperature? And I started noticing that towards the end of September, I want to say it was like a, I don't remember the exact, um, if it was like two on, two off, three on, one off, but it, he had a pattern that mm -hmm. it was every so many days he was walking in front of this camera about the same time. And then he'd be on this other camera, which made me feel like he was coming out of his like daytime bed mm -hmm. and moving um, like north on my property. And so through that, I, I was able to pick up on that pattern of how often he was showing up in daylight. And I, I, I don't know if I have all the data still, but I mean, I had it with the temps, the moon phase, everything. And um, just really noticed um, the on and off cycle. And so I knew, I forget what day, um, I think it was a Monday opening day was and I knew that was going to be his off day mm -hmm. and so I, I didn't sit then but I had sat the night before to um, I didn't have my bow or anything I, I was just scouting and getting a feel I had built a blind on like this dock and I wanted to make sure everything was set where I needed it and I was ready for game time and so I sat the night before and sure enough like clockwork mm -hmm. there he comes strolling in I was like all right so I went out um, that Friday, and I knew that was his um, off day. But again, I'm not gonna not go out. Right. You know, who knows what could happen? So I get out there, saw a few deer, and then the next day I was like, "All right, it's it's game time." And so sure enough, that pattern he came. I heard you could hear him because he kind of circles around and then comes in. Um, 
from the north to the south. And that's what his patterns had shown, um, kind of when he was on various cameras, that that was the way he was going. So I heard him going to my south, getting ready to come back up north. And I didn't see him for a while. So my initial thought was, like, he winded me, anything like that. But sure enough, I mean, to the minute, if I could have bet the minute he came in, um, I was in that ground blind, and I just saw the, the tip of the antler, of the antlers, and I was like, yep, that's him, it's game time. Yeah. And I just, I knew it was him, and it was, gosh, maybe 12, 15-yard shot yeah. from from the ground blind I had set up and, and I truly feel like having all of that data really helped, um, helped have that successful hunt. And, you know, we didn't have the flooding. I was able to watch him kind of all year. I had a food plot in that area that I had started in the spring uh, that I felt kind of really helped hold him in that area. And then on the other side of the property, it was corn. And I felt he was moving through the corn and then coming back um, onto mine. And, and so kind of that data aspect really, really helped me, um, I feel, kind of predict where where he was going to be. Right. And what, uh, what, what time did you, what time did you arrow him? Was it evening? Yeah, it was evening. It was, it was just maybe like 15 minutes before um, sunset. Hmm. So he, he liked he liked to push that boundary, and that was my only concern the later in the season that he was going to be coming in too late, but uh, thankfully got him. Right. Nice. Got him so, early. So you feel like you were probably pretty close to his, his daytime bed then, like if he was showing up with a little yeah. bit of daylight. Sounds like you were pretty close. Yeah, I think there's like a couple areas on my property just because I know there's beds that mm -hmm. I – I just don't go in. They're just kind of off limits. I've thought about putting cameras and stuff, but for me, I don't know. I just haven't touched them. Um, right. And I, yeah, I, I really was confident that his bed, he was bedding close by. And um, that was kind of the one way to catch him. Cause he had tons of corn he could hide in that bordered my property. And mm -hmm. I was like, if I, if, I don't get him when he's, you know, it's going to be close to either sunrise or sunset. I'll never see him because he'll just go right. hang out in the corn all day. Right. What, uh, now were you just using like some type of like Excel spreadsheet to track all this? Is that what you were? Yeah. So I, yep. I, I did all in Excel. I joked around. Um, I have a few programmer buddies that they should create a program to do it all for me, but, uh, their, their cost was too high for, Right from my blood, so I couldn't <laughs> couldn't do that. But yeah, just just manually um, in Excel, and it, I mean that's that's pretty. It doesn't even take um, really an analyst background to to see trends and patterns um, with mm -hmm. bucks. Like if you have a property that you have food plots on that's well established, I mean I feel I, I don't know that every buck is truly patternable, but mm -hmm. um, I feel it kind of gives you. Um, if you're running trail cameras and checking them, you might as well get some of the data off of them instead of That's just right. cat for cataloging your deer. Anything you can do to try to tip the tip the odds. Now I'm going to ask you a nerd question. You ready? Did you make a pit? Did you make a pivot table? That's my question. I did. I did not. I thought about. <laughs> um, 
So I'm, I'm big into SQL and writing code. And I did think of uh, like doing a temporary table and uh, sorry, I've lived in right. train, train track, but uh, uh, yeah, I did think of like writing code so I could pull various dates and right. like make tableau views and charts and graphs and right. All that crazy stuff. Now but. there there is now I use this thing. Uh, I'm using it this year because there's a couple deer. Like so now for me in Pennsylvania, it's like I, I may or may not get deer. I, I kind of watch deer try to over a course of like a year or two, whatever. And I, I usually try to watch terrain features because for me around this area, like deer don't make it several years. A lot of times when I find them as a good deer, chances are they probably won't make it to the next year just because of the pressure in in the area that I live and stuff. Um, so you know. But when I do get a deer that I might be able to watch for like a couple, like a year, one year to the next or whatever, um, I usually use, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but it's called Deer Lab. And it's actually a um, a buddy of mine, this guy, John, it's a, that I'm good friends with. Um, he developed this guy. He's a developer by by nature, by by trade. And so he created this program that you basically upload like your trail camera photos. And it basically pulls all the data from like the closest weather center. And then it pulls in um, like moon phase, temperature, wind direction, anything. And it'll actually make heat maps for where you're seeing that buck most frequently on a property across multiple cameras. Once you plot them, it'll then show you like where he's showing up most often. So you can basically filter by like profile if you call a deer like the big six or, you know, the big six or like you know, the big 10 or whatever he is. You can filter by that profile and it'll show you just the data around him. And then you can go and look at like some tables and it'll say, you know, 75% of the time, yeah, I can just look at him for one camera and say 75% of the time when he passes this camera, it's on a north wind. And you can start to pull it apart like that. So similar to what you're doing, only it's like he has a program for it. So if you ever want to check it out, like it's worth kind of looking into. Yeah, I think I think I have actually looked at that a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's it's pretty cool stuff. Like I like I'm I'm a little bit of a, a closet nerd, so I like to look at data and and stuff like that. I like charts. I like Excel. It's like a weird thing that I have, I guess. But um, again, we're birds of a feather. How, who would have thunk it? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so what what are your plans for this year? So with uh, with the flooding um, and really not seeing much on camera, I um, I was I was traveling a ton this summer for work and. And when I could, I was using um, some of the mapping programs out there to just look at terrain. And what I actually did was I put together a letter. Um, I live out in the country. If someone that I don't know is driving up my driveway, I'm probably having a firearm very close by because I don't know their motive. So for me, I felt writing letters was less intrusive um, being out in the country to ask for permission to hunt. I know right. a lot of people go door to door, um, right. but just from personal experience, I, I feel more comfortable with letters. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did just a ton of scouting based on terrain um, and farm farm ground and uh, just various parts kind of around where I live that would be convenient enough where I could do a couple hour sits or day sits, mm-hmm. um, but not have to like stay the night. And for the areas that didn't flood and then I looked at some of the areas more in the bluff because I have a feeling that's where a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, the deer have gone so I I sent about 30 letters out and I was actually fortunate enough that six individuals um, contacted me back and gave me permission to bow hunt their property Um, so the last the last couple weeks I've been um, hitting these properties pretty hard just trying to scout them 
figure out stand location, uh, going out tomorrow night to one property to get a stand up and then um, have probably 10 more stands to try to get hung before, excuse me, October 1st. Um, so, so this year will definitely be a challenge and out of my realm comfort wise. Mm-hmm. Um, last year it was, again, using kind of the analytics and knowing what was out there. I, I felt really confident and this year I'm really just having to keep that open mindset of anything could happen. And even if, you know, cause I, I don't, I've never stepped foot on any of these places until a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm learning the trails and looking, right. trying to figure out pinch points and various areas where I can just get a sense of the deer that are out there and, and so I think going into the season, just keeping in mind that um, even if, you know, I'm not seeing anything on camera, there doesn't mean uh, there's deer out there. And um, if I have to make a change mid-season because of a stand location, to just be okay and roll with it. Like I'm typically, uh, like everything is ready a month before season. And here I am, I still have 10 stands to hang on terrain that I've scouted for maybe a couple hours so right so it's definitely gonna be a challenge i'm i'm getting really um excited because again it's iowa and you you truly never know when something just crazy is gonna happen and some monster is gonna walk out so so i'm really challenging myself to not get discouraged at the amount of work I have left to, to stay positive, to stay optimistic that although I'm completely out of my comfort zone, that maybe that's what I need in my life right now of, yeah. of just really being challenged in, in different ways. And um, again, it's, uh, I do it to learn something every time I'm out and I've had just a ton of learning in the last couple of weeks, looking at different properties that I don't know. And, um, one of the properties I'm actually hunting out of season doe depredation tags on. And, nice. and I set up a stand uh, that I thought was going to be awesome just due to track. And I sat twice and didn't see anything. And here this farmer is, he's getting out of season doe depredation tags because there's so many deer. <laughs> and I sit for eight <laughs> hours total and I don't see a deer. And so I was like, all right, time out. Like, right. what the heck? tons of tracks put up the trail camera oh this is for whatever reason it's a morning spot they're probably going to alfalfa across the road there's no beds around here okay what's the next plan of attack so like in in corporate america i work in kind of an agile environment where we iterate we're always iterating on different things and and making changes so i was like i'm truly gonna have to take an iterative approach to my hunting this year where you know what, that was a terrible idea. So let's go back to the drawing board and figure out a new the plan. Next, yeah. Kind of the next step. And so yeah, I am nervous but very, very excited. Some of these properties um I, I feel good about as just seeing some of the trail camera pictures and sign. Um I feel they have the potential to produce some incredible deer. So we we shall see what the season holds. Nice. I wanted to say, you know, you have 10 tree stands to hang yet. And I wanted to say, have you ever thought of giving a saddle a try? Uh, <laughs> one, of, one of my good friends is going to laugh hysterically because we have had this discussion. Um, 
because he has one and he's been like pushing it on me and pushing it on me and he brings it over every time and he shows me how great it is and I, I don't I don't know why I'm so hesitant with it I think I just need to get out and hunt with it um, well just get just sit in it like in the yard on a, on a tree because I'm I, it's I, I switched last year and it is like I won't hunt out of anything else now like that's just all there is to it because a lot of what I hunt is is public ground and I'm like you said it's like I have to iterate a lot because I might show up somewhere where a guy just walked through and now I'm onto a new spot like I got to move you know what I mean or whatever the case is right and so I definitely don't pre-hang anything because I don't want anything to get stolen or anything like that but I'm able to be super light that way when I have to iterate it's like I've got some modded sticks that are short you know what I mean and stuff like that so it's like my setup all in if I don't take any camera equipment or anything it's probably like I want to say maybe eight pounds something like that in in total um so whenever you need to like iterate and kind of freelance a bit, it's really convenient for that. And you don't have to buy 10 tree stands. You can buy one saddle and hunt wherever you want to hunt. So I'm selling you on it too. Yeah. yeah all right. Yeah. I think, I think it would kind of also alleviate the stress of like, Oh my gosh, I have to hang 10 stands. And now it's just like, Hey, instead of hanging 10 stands, since I I'll be a few of the properties I have, there will be other hunters, but a few, it's just me. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. if I pick out good trees, I can just, they'll never know, go, yeah. go out there and do it that way. And yep. don't have to worry about trying to, so, okay. I, I might be sold. I'll, I'll have to, I'll have him bring it over and I'll actually sit in it next time. There you go. I love it. I love it. But, uh, I know we've been talking for a little bit more than an hour and I want to be sensitive to your, to your time, um, and let you have a little bit of, a little bit of your evening here. And I have a huge client meeting tomorrow that I actually have to try to get some real sleep for tonight, as opposed <laughs> to like my not you know normal, not normal sleep. Um, but before yeah. I let you go, if you wouldn't mind, let folks out there know where they can find out more about you, follow you and just kind of stay in touch with you throughout your hunting season. Yeah, of course. So on Instagram, I know it's a bit confusing um, because of my divorce. I've kept my Instagram handle with my married name. So Instagram, I am Bauer Lindsay, B-A-U-E-R-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And then on Facebook, um, my profile is pretty locked down. I don't have a public page. Um, But on Facebook, I am under Lindsay Zastro, Z-A-S-T-R-O-W. Those are the two places um, I'm really posting content uh, You'll see some articles of mine on like bow hunter die and stuff. Um, but Instagram and Facebook are, are where you can follow along. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's been a pleasure having you on and uh, good luck this season. And let's, uh, let's stay in touch and we'll, and we'll do a little saddle talking. If you need, I can give you some, some pointers. All right. Perfect. No, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Lindsay for joining. Be sure to give her a follow on Instagram for some honest hunting and finish, uh, fin- finishing, yeah, fishing content. Of course, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, be sure to follow us on Instagram so you can kind of keep up with what's happening this year. Uh, for all of uh, for all of my hunts. Uh, before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. On my heels, makes me proud.
Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.